chapter number 9. If you'll join me there, Acts chapter number 9. And if you need an outline, Brother Dick's going to make his way down the middle aisle here. We'd love for you to follow along if you weren't able to grab a prayer bulletin. He has some extras there. We'd love for you to grab one, follow along. It's a difficult passage in the sense of being broken up each and every Wednesday night. But I trust that uh, we're getting an overall understanding of Romans chapter 9. And uh, there on your outline, you'll see we'll go all the way back in the sense of looking at and understanding what we've seen presented to us by Paul and the Holy Spirit back in verse number 4 and following. And uh, we saw, all, first of all, uh, Israel's privileged past. Then we talked about their partition past. And well, can I just kind of give a, a, a predecessor to our, even our review this evening? The fact is this. Don't forget where Paul is coming from in at least one sense. One question that he's anticipating from his Jewish audience is this, okay? Uh, obviously, they thought they were special, and certainly they were chosen of God. They were special in that sense and so forth. But now Paul is beginning to introduce to them the idea and the reality that God has opened salvation to the Gentiles too, to other nations. And so now they're questioning God and his sovereign choice. Israel is. Why, why are you grafting in the Gentiles? Why are you allowing them where we are uh, the, the blessed people, the chosen man? Why? Why now the Gentiles, and what does that mean for us, and so forth and so on. So understand the context of all this when Paul is dealing with God's sovereign choice that, that we as man ought not to, and we really can't from our finite understanding question the sovereign choice of an infinite God. And so Paul's answering those questions, and uh, he's anticipating in addressing them here. We talked there in, in verses 6 and following not only partition past, but the reality of promise, being a child of promise versus just being a child of Abraham, so forth and so on. We talked about uh, and we're not spending much time on it, the idea of the predestined salvation versus privileged service and how uh, talking about Isaac and so forth there, he's talking about service, not salvation. It's not about the, the predestination to salvation or anything as such. It's the service. As even the verse here before us uh, showed us and uh, helped us to understand. Then, if you'll notice on your outline there too, sovereign preference versus supreme abhorrence. And if you'll notice in Romans chapter 9, here's where we're talking about in fact, let's go ahead and read verse 11 and following. It says this, For the children, referring to uh, Isaac and, and so forth there, um, For the children, be not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, his sovereign choice, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So it puts it all on uh, the heavenly Father, on Jehovah. Verse 12, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. So there's that idea of service as opposed to some who try to apply this passage to salvation. It's service, in verse 13, as is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And that's really where we left off last time And in talking about this understanding how God often uses the word hate. It's used to express and enhance his description about preference that is, he's, he's preferring one over another. We looked at Malachi, the originating passage that Paul is referring to here. Not really talking about individuals in Malachi. It's talking about the Edomites and the Israelites, the descendants of both of these guys, and so and these men. And so we understood that, and, and, and we saw that this use of the word hate, God has given us some great examples in other scripture of it. We've looked in Luke here, Luke 16, 13. No, no servant can serve two masters. It's, in, it's talking about serving. 
either he will hate the one and love the other, else you'll uh, hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we see him using that term hate and the idea of preference here. The same way in, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So we've come to, to grasp the reality of what God is saying, even in this verse, in his sovereign preferential choice uh, of Jacob over uh, Esau here, and even uh, Isaac before him and so forth, okay? So we came to this last point last time, and this is where we'll pick up. See, look at verse 14, if you will, with me. What shall we say then? What's going to be the argument? What's going to be the question we throw at God? Is there unrighteousness with God? And there's the Pauline expression, God forbid. God forbid. No, no, that's not true. In other words, literally, how are we to question that? Does this make God unjust when he prefers one person, giving them blessings, however it's described, over another? Now, the reality is this, and even going back to verse number 11 and 12, the idea is this. Hey, if salvation or even blessings were based solely upon righteousness, my friend, none of us would be saved and none of us would have blessings. See, if that was the number one thing, if God looked at it and said, okay, uh, if you're righteous, then you're going to be saved. No, no, no. You and I, friend, we need the robe of righteousness that Jesus Christ bought for us on the cross of Calvary. His righteousness applied to our account. Paul's already established that. And so reality is this. God is not looking for good or bad in certain people to then choose them based upon them. Yes, there's no doubt that there is obedience at times. In response to obedience, God allows blessings. We're not divorcing that biblical principle. But the reality is this, and do not miss it tonight, that often God in his sovereign choice can mete out mercy and grace when it is completely undeserved. Yea, in salvation, but also in life and choosing uh, things to happen, allowing things to happen or not allowing things to happen. Our God meets out mercy and grace on a continual basis, especially to his children. None of us can look back this week and look at God and say, you know what, God, I deserve all the mercy you showed me this week. If you say that, my friend, you know what you need? A good dose of humility. You know what our God is good at? Giving us humility, amen? He'll lower the proud, won't he? He will. See, Rowdy, we can't look at that and say, okay, God. And that's where Paul is acting upon and understanding that the sovereign, explaining the sovereign choice of God is a vehicle for this sovereign grace and mercy to be given out. It's not the idea of God being supreme of, of all creation, being unrighteous and, and allowing some blessings in this life, but uh, withholding them over here or, or choosing in preferential one way or the other. It is not a question of God's righteousness. It's a reality of the mercy and grace of God. We began to explain this and understand this last week to see what Paul had to say about it. You see... God chooses who's the object of his choosing for mercy and grace. And Paul's making the point here, there's no person who has the right to question God about his choices. And yet, Paul has done a great job in presenting the character and heart of God already. Might I ask you this, if you know that someone is going to make a choice about you receiving mercy and grace, if you know that their heart is perfectly right, holy, just, 
love, and we could go on and on. Can I tell you, you can trust that person's choice. What they're choosing on your behalf and to mete out to you. If you know their heart and their character, and Paul's already explained some of the character of God, the workings of God, that he works all things together for our good and his glory. Romans chapter 8, we've studied that. If we can trust that, my friend, we can trust God's sovereign choices. At times, to mete out grace in your life. At times, to mete out mercy. And other times, he, he may choose, no, that's not this time. But we can trust him. We can trust him. And Paul's speaking to the Israelites who are now questioning everything about their God and, and questioning about the sovereign choice of God and allowing the Gentiles now into salvation and such and so forth. Notice it. Let's look at verse 15 again. We just got into it, read it. That's about all we did last uh, week. Notice it. Or, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I have, will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, this is a great quote from the Old Testament. Paul's quoting a verse from the Old Testament in which God himself asserts his right to make sovereign choices when it comes to his grace and his mercy extended to his creation. Turn with me, if you will. Hold your spot. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. I, I enjoy, and this is why it sometimes takes us so long to get through books. Whenever someone in the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, I want to know the whole story. I want to know the context. I, I want to know what's going on and, and why it was said there in that particular situation. So let's look at Exodus chapter 33. As you do, let me give you a little reminder or bring you up to speed where we find ourselves at this point in Israel's history. It is a very dark day in Israel's history. Moses has already gone up. He's gotten the commandments, and, and things are going great. They're following God. God has delivered them from Egypt, and, and boy, they are really blessed at this point, and, and they're no longer slaves in Egypt, and they're traveling to the promised land. Things are great, but things have now gone south, haven't they? As Moses comes down off the mountain, he's been given the Ten Commandments, the law, he's returned, and what does he find? There's Israel having given themselves to the idol, the golden calf. Essentially, what they have done, let's not miss it, because this is really the parallelism that Paul is bringing out in Romans chapter 9. What Israel has done is they have hardened their heart to God, they have rejected God and His ways, and now they are kind of making their own choice. They're doing their own thing and, and rejecting God. God said, Moses is going to return, I'm going to give you the law, He's coming on me. They get worried and they start saying, well, we've got to give, make us our own gods, and so they turn their back on God. I mean, they're stiff-necked people. We'll see that here in this passage God himself calls them that so this is a a terrible occurrence in their history Moses returns he breaks the uh, the Ten Commandments uh, those stone tablets he comes out he he meets out judgment and punishment upon the people we'll speak of it here in a moment and subsequently then he in turn goes before God to intercede on the behalf of Israel why does he have to do that well frankly because God's wrath uh, is pretty hot against Israel he, he's ready to let it uh, kind of flow out on them in many ways. And frankly, they deserve to be consumed. They deserved it. I couldn't help but as studying this message, even thinking about here on the platform a moment ago. The Bible verse that says this, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. <laughs> it is of the Lord's mercy 
that we are not consumed. And so it was with Israel. Look with me at chapter 33, verse 5. Notice it. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. We could really just throw in there a hard-hearted people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore, now put off thine ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Now listen, hey, can I just make a little parallel and some of us bringing flashback to our childhood? Did you ever have a mom or dad that tell you, go to your room, I'll deal with you in a moment? Woo! That's here it is for Israel. You know, and they're like, I, I should consume you. Now put your arm in I'll decide what I'm going to do with you. That was the worst as a kid, wasn't it? And uh, I remember that either being sent or all when we get home from church. <laughs> I mean, let's not go home. <laughs> Stay at church forever. You know, I mean, that's, that's literally what's transpiring here. God is rightfully, uh, God his wrath up. He, he is angry with Israel. Why? Because they have turned their back. Listen, they deserved to be consumed. They did. God had made it very clear what was going on in the mountain. Moses would return and not to have idols. They'd already gotten that part of it. And yet here they are doing that exact thing. Let's step back a second. So in this moment, what does Israel not have? Israel has absolutely no righteousness to say, well, God, you should have mercy because nothing. Why should I not consume you? Uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh. No answer. I mean, there's nothing that they can turn around and offer God. No reason that they should point to why God should continue to bless them and use them and allow them to maintain their privileged position as a nation. And yet, God chooses to show them mercy. Aren't you thankful that all of us have moments like this in our life that God chooses to show mercy? And we don't deserve it. In his sovereign choice, not because we like to plead, well, I do this, and I've done this, and I have this righteousness. No, no, no. Listen, hey, when it comes down to it, there's not enough righteous or good works that you and I do that makes us deserving of God's mercy and grace. They are the outpouring of a loving, sovereign God. He explains it. Look at verse 19, if you will, with me. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That is the verse that Paul is quoting, obviously there in Romans chapter 9. We'll see here in a moment, he is specifically talking to Moses, but it is a principle he is applying to Israel. He says, listen, I should consume them, I should just leave them right here, or consume all. no, 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 I, I'm, I'm going to show you my glory, Moses. We'll see this in a moment too. But he also says, I have a right to choose to whom I am gracious, a right to choose who I am merciful to. Now I'll tell you, there are several stories throughout the scriptures where this comes to bear. There are many people who we don't, def- who we don't believe deserve mercy or grace. And I, I think some of the, the greatest stories are the ones that we can think of immediately is, is certainly we have, we have Jonah and the Ninevites, right? Jonah did not think the Ninevites, and as barbaric as a horrible nation and country as they were and how they killed people and, and so forth, the horrific things that they did, Jonah did not want them to be shown mercy. In a human perspective, they did not deserve it. And yet God did what? He sent Jonah to preach. And revival broke out. And so God's wrath was held back. They were shown mercy. I don't know. Certainly, you talk about somebody who wasn't deserving of it. What about in in the day of Christ, 
the gentleman who was set free instead of Jesus Christ. You remember his name? Barabbas, right? And you talk about a guy who received mercy, who didn't deserve it. It was Barabbas. All through the scriptures, and we could hit hit each one. The reality is this. You and I, from a human perspective, that's just not fair. From a human perspective, why does that person get that? Why does that person not let that happen to them? And boy, we can start to question. That's literally what Paul's anticipating here. You see, though Israel had forfeited all rights to blessing, she had essentially broken the very covenant through her own unfaithfulness, Israel as a nation was still privileged to experience the wonderful reality of God's mercy bestowed on them, not only in this instance, but in many to come. See, that's exactly what Paul's getting to back here in Romans chapter 9. In fact, he, he gives us two ends of the spectrum when it comes to God's sovereign choices. Okay, so we're not going to be able to cover it tonight, and I'm not sure if we'll get to it next night. We might have a missionary next Wednesday night. So maybe a couple weeks. But we're going to get to the first end of the spectrum. The first one is dealing with Israel and Moses. Okay? He's going to talk about his sovereign choice of blessing and so forth. Then the next one he's going to deal with the antithesis of Moses really in Exodus chapter 1 through 14. And that's Pharaoh. And that very difficult passage, difficult unless you really get into it, of, oh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, but the Bible also says that the Lord hardened his heart, and so what in the world happened there? How did that happen? Well, he's going to explain that. Paul's going to give us a little insight there, and then we're going to break that down. But let's look back at Romans chapter 9, if you will, with me. Look here at verse number 17, and uh, notice it in just uh, uh, understanding kind of, uh, actually, back up, I'm going to read verse 16 again, and then verse 17. Notice it. So then, verse 16, so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. In other words, you think about it. What is life? Well, we're running the Christian race. It's not of the person who's running and, and trying to earn it. No, no, It's of God that showeth mercy. And then he goes on to verse 17, which we won't get into tonight. But for the scripture saith unto favor, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. I want you to see first and foremost this understanding. Back in this story in Exodus chapter 33, Israel was let off the hook tremendously. They really deserve to pay. I mean, God could have, remember times there God says, hey, Moses, let me do away with his people. I'll raise up a whole nation from these rocks. I mean, literally, it's, that, that's what God says. And so we understand that they probably deserve that. Certainly, it's, it, it, it would appear to us, we'd say that would be fair for what they did to God and, and how God had already blessed them and they turned their back on God. And yet they kind of got off easy. There were about 3,000 that were killed. I believe it was the Levites. That's when Moses said, if you're on the Lord's side, come over here. And they did. And then they went and, and um, did judgment or ushered in the judgment of God. God also sent a plague among the Israelites. Now think of it. 3,000 killed. We don't know if any died from the plague or whatever the case may. It may have just been where everybody was sick in their tent. But I'll tell you, my friend, listen, that, experiencing that compared or contrasted to millions of people being consumed, I'd say they got off easy. That was merciful. So not from a human perspective, grasp of the reality is that. And as they traveled on from that place, their, their hearts had to be filled with gratitude and thankfulness at the mighty mercy that was extended to them in that situation. I mean, to think, we turned our backs on God. Not only did we turn our backs, we hardened our heart, but we, we 
We created a replacement substitute God, and yet God still let us live. Boy, we have been blessed today. It isn't just about Israel. It's in your life and in my life. The fact is this. Um, you, you think with me for just a moment. Think about a time where you uh, committed a sin, you, you, you did something, you knew it, certainly God knew it, and in that particular situation, uh, the fact is that the consequences of that sin, now listen, could have been so much worse in your life. Let me just give you a, a silly illustration. You ever caught yourself going down the road and you start thinking about something else and you glance at your speedometer and it says 78 or something? Speed limit says 50 something? And what do you do? <gasps> you slam on or maybe you don't or you should. Amen. Okay. <laughs> but you kind of look around and say, oh, boy, I sure am glad there wasn't a policeman there. Okay. So, so we think in terms of this. Can I tell you, here's the reality. Okay. Wouldn't you hate it if there was a policeman everywhere you went? Everywhere you drove? Some of you? Some of, I mean, I hope you wouldn't, but anyway, what do you have? I mean, if they saw everything, I mean, you're like, oh man, I have to do right all the time. Well, by the way, that's a good way to live life, by the way, okay? Uh, uh, but reality is, I mean, that'd be terrible. Hey, listen, God's everywhere, right? So God sees every sense. God sees everything you and I do. And I'll tell you, I, personal experience, if I suffer the consequences of every sin that I made, the full consequences, oh, I don't even know if I'd be here today. Can we not say that? I mean, can, I, can we not say that if God showed me the full consequences of every sin I've ever committed, we'd all be in a whole lot of trouble, wouldn't we? We would. And yet God has shown himself to be merciful at times. See, there's some sins that you've committed that reality is if, if God had allowed the full consequences to be unloaded on you. Now listen, would he have been right to do that? Yes, he would have. He would have been righteous. But in God's wonderful, merciful graciousness, he held back some of those consequences. Well, why does God get to choose in your life when you did that sin, not all the full consequences, but in this person's life over here, they did the same sin, and boy, the consequences just exploded because there's been some times that you and I have looked at someone else and they committed a similar sin that we may have in the past, and boy, their life fell apart. Consequences were galore, or vice versa. And my friend, you know what we need to do in those instances? Fall to our knees and praise God above. Because God in his sovereign choice, for whatever reason, it's his character he chose to show mercy. I sure am thankful that in the instance of Israel, God's mercy interceded on their behalf. He decided to show mercy to them. I sure am thankful he does the same for you and I, and I know we've experienced it. We made this statement here concluding, our sovereign God is certainly worthy of praise for his continuing and abundant mercy on display in his faithful pardoning of his children. That's you and I today. As we are his children, as we are believers, we ought to give him praise daily. That at times he shows us mercy. When we deserve so much more consequences, when we deserve the full weight of our sin and iniquity, he still, he still shows mercy. If you're in Exodus 33, I should have told you to stay there, but look with me at verse 13. Notice this. There's one other thing that transpired here. Again, we're on this end of the spectrum. God is showing grace and mercy. Uh, he's choosing to, to bestow it to those who don't really uh, deserve it. Look at verse 13. 
This is Moses speaking. And now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. So, so Moses is going before God, not only on behalf of the nation, but also himself. Now look at verse 18. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now, Moses makes two astounding requests here. First, he says, God, I want you to continue with us. Don't take your presence away. I know Israel does not deserve for you to be God and to go with us to the promise, even to allow them to exist still. But God, I don't want to keep going if you're not with me. Look at verse 14. Notice how he put it. He said, my presence will go with thee, and I will give thee rest. That's amazing. That's God's response to Moses. Moses, Moses hey, God, don't, don't leave us. Don't take your presence away. Stay with us. And God mercifully grants his request. Moses didn't deserve it. The people didn't deserve it. But God showed great mercy and grace in granting his request. But it gets better, doesn't it? Moses then, and this is amazing to me, after the sin of Israel, Moses goes on to boldly request that God show him his glory. And God responds in verses 19 through 23, where that verse is about it. It was an amazing, and we see it in our outline here, why Moses? Well, Moses was, Moses was full of faith. We, I mean, okay, granted that sometimes grace is given because of faith. And the fact is, Moses did not deserve such a privileged opportunity to see the glory of God. But you know what God showed in that moment? Well, he fulfilled what he said in verse 19. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. He showed grace. Now you think about it. Look at verse 17. This is the only explanation of why it happened that we have before us. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found, what's the next word? Grace. Thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Let me ask you this evening, does God know you by name? Sure he does. Choice. It's his sovereign choice. And sometimes we look at these believers in our own lives and we think, well, I'm just so strong of faith, I deserve God's mercy and grace. My friend, I don't care how much faith you have, you don't deserve God's grace. But God may in his sovereignty choose to say, okay, for by grace are you saved through faith. He may choose to connect that, and that's his sovereign choice. We could argue, we could keep going, well, well Moses was shown grace because, of, hey, can I tell you, listen to me, the Bible says this, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So the reality is this, that's graciousness for God Almighty to allow rain to fall on a field that belongs to a heathen, atheist, a man that's never darkened the doorway of a church, has shaken his fist at God, and God still allows rain to fall on his field. May I tell you, God is gracious. God is gracious. You and I may look at that man and we'll say, oh, he doesn't deserve that. He, he's a filthy, horrible sinner. Well, reality is, so are you and I. I hate to offend you. Hate to offend you. But reality, that's us. And my friend, our God is gracious. And not only the reality that we don't deserve it, but man, could you imagine what that would have been like for Moses to see the glory of God? Oh. But I step back and I think, just even over these past eight, nine years that I've been here, I've seen instances in your life, your lives, 
of God's grace. Instances in my life of God's grace. And I sure am thankful that there is a God in heaven who continually, by his sovereign choice, meets out mercy and meets out grace. Your life and in mine. What Paul is getting at and continuing to remind us is that you and I cannot question God's sovereign display of grace and mercy to some. We cannot gripe and moan and complain. We cannot cast disparaging remarks and light upon the character of God. In reality, the only right response is to praise God. Why? Because the Bible tells us His ways are far above our ways. His thoughts far above our thoughts. And with that being the case, I sure am glad we have a God in heaven who sits on the throne of heaven who can be trusted. Future weeks, we'll get into the next part. Appreciate your attendance this evening. I trust you and I will go in these truths and live them out and be thankful for our God. Brother Cliff, you'll bring those prayer requests.